Hello and welcome once again to Galaxy Moonbeam Night Sight. We are the show that talks about all the good baby boomer memories and some of the baby boomer memories that weren't so good, but mostly they were good. We keep a positive, upbeat note here, and we welcome you to almost one of the final episodes of the year 2014. But nonetheless, we're excited to bring you today's show. I'm Mike. I'm Smitty. And I'm George. And I'm George, being over here by my side, <laughs> I am George, uh, is going to share with us some exciting memories. And they're truly exciting because they were a big part of me growing up. Smitty's got a few things to say, too. And we're just really overjoyed to have George here with Smitty and I today for today's show. And let me tell you before we go further that this is a 30-minute show, but we're going to have some 60-minute shows to follow. And later on in the show... Uh, my esteemed colleague, Smitty Gilbert-Smith, is going to share some results of some recent uh, competition as far as journalistic awards that the three of us sitting here this morning are basking in the sun on this beautiful Saturday, enjoying, preening, uh, telling the few people that we didn't tell in the last month about something that really exciting happened to us over the years. Smitty, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing good, Mike. How about you? Not too bad. We're wrapping up 2014. It's been an interesting it's year, you know. a very interesting year. It's been a good year, and we're wrapping it up. We're coming up to our fifth anniversary of doing these shows in uh, January. It'll be five years. We've been uh, doing Galaxy Moonbeam Night Sight, so we're we're just uh, moving right along, and uh, time's going by real fast. Well, you know, Smitty, I, as the listeners know, I pretty much managed the Facebook comment side, and yes. we're starting to embed the shows now, so you, the listeners, you don't have to go over to iTunes. We prefer you do, but if as long as you're at Facebook, you'll get embedded MP3 files for any show, and the point being, Smitty, I just, a uh, couple of weeks ago, just posted show number 150, 150, yes. and I, I cannot believe how we got there. We got there, but we're now we're moving on. This is our 156th program here that we're doing, so it's uh, we're managing to keep it going. So it's going good. And it is truly because of you, the listeners. Uh, we put this content together. A lot of the content comes in as a result. We're going to talk a little bit later in, in another show about all the contributions that our listeners make, our Facebook friends, our good Good galaxy guys and gals that are out there, and they give us feedback, and we do appreciate so much. I've got George sitting here, and he's got his secret agent spy briefcase and multi, multi-killing multi machine toy gun from Remco from back in the 65s. I, George is here, and he's going to talk about TV spy genre, the genre, the one that really meant a lot to me back in the 1960s. George, welcome. Thank you so much, gentlemen. As always, I enjoy this opportunity of fellowship and friendship. And this is an exciting time because 50 years ago, beginning in the 1964 to 68 period, we had an exciting period for television history, the spy genre. And what this was was a trend that capitalized on the popularity of the James Bond series, which was being shown in motion picture theaters worldwide. And it began with a series that actually had a direct connection with Ian Fleming. This was The Man from UNCLE, which featured Robert Vaughn and David McCallum as secret agents Napoleon Solo and Ilya Kuryakin. And this show, of course, was known for having a rousing theme song, a dynamic duo skilled in martial arts using a wide range of electronic gadgetry as they were protecting uh, the freedom 
of those on the side of good and fighting the forces of evil. But what was really interesting about this is that in a very short period, in about a two-year time frame, we went from having one spy show to more than a dozen. Here's a few names that I'm going to throw out for you just for memory. How many of you remember Secret Agent with Patrick McGowan and then later the summer replacement series that was regarded as its sequel, The Prisoner? How about I Spy, which featured... Bill Cosby and Robert Culp as secret agents traveling worldwide and basically sort of a a TV example of the buddy film. There was, of course, The Green Hornet and Batman. There was Get Smart, The Man Who Never Was, and, of course, there was The Avengers, which uh, featured Patrick McNee and Diana Rigg. And for our good friend Gilbert, who loves cats, there was the famous (laughs) uh, show called T-H-E, Cat. And Gilbert, do you remember what uh, those letters stood for? Uh, I think they stood for a name, uh, didn't they, George, as I recall correctly? It did, and it turned <laughs> out it was it stood for Thomas Hewitt Edward Cat. <laughs> so it was just so much fun. Just And it, it was a play, of course, on the uh, acronyms for Uncle and Thrush, yes. which were part of the spy genre. Uncle, of course, stood for United Network Command for Law Enforcement. Uh, And then, of course, Thrush was technological hierarchy for the removal of undesirables and the subjugation of humanity. George, T.H.E. Cat, now that role was played by Robert Loggio? Yes, it was. Okay, good. Yes, it was. I have to to beam into the time frame, (laughs) Smitty, or else now Robert Loggio, okay, now I got it, 60s. Yeah, and I'm picking up, you know, Man from Uncle and and T.H.E. Cat. Initials were big during that time period, weren't they, George? They really were. (laughs) I mean, you had to, I mean, it was... you were really challenged to try to remember all these things. I, I had a tough time as a kid watching it, but I loved it. There was a specter of acronyms. <laughs> specter? Of course. Okay. Thank you so much for bringing Don't that Don't leave up. out specter or they'll have you killed. Yes. Yes. You will be terminated with extreme prejudice to borrow the genre. Do you know, I, what I look back on this era is the amazing theme songs that were popular on, on the hit parade. You had Man from Uncle, of course, but how about Mission Impossible? How about Secret Agent Man? And then, of course, do you guys remember James Bond in the nineteen in the eighteen sixties? Rather, the American version, the Wild Wild West, mm-hmm. which also popularized the buddy theme with uh, Ross Martin and Robert Conrad. Yes, yes, a exactly. lot of fun there. But as we look back on that era. We also remember that it was very groundbreaking. Uh, We alluded earlier to the groundbreaking series that uh, featured Culp and and Cosby as as a duo, and it, of course, helped uh, break the color line in television. Mm -hmm. But there was an equally important breakthrough with spy genre, and that was breaking the gender gap, if you will, and breaking down uh, stereotypes. Because, obviously, when people think of the... James Bond and the Man from Uncle themes, of course, we know there was exotic women featured in supporting roles. But as I recall, and want to get your memories in this, Mission Impossible featured a leading lady in Barbara Bain. Uh, Get Smart had an important sidekick with Barbara Feldon. Then there was Honey West, which was Anne Francis. And, of course, Batman featured Batgirl. And then, of course, I believe that the the top one was The Girl from Uncle, which was a spinoff from mm-hmm. the series that started it all. So I guess I would ask each of you, what are your favorite memories from that period? What are your thoughts about 
maybe some of the groundbreaking uh, trends that emerged from that era that went beyond just the gadgetry and the travels and the locales that we well, experienced. George, my wheelhouse as far as the genre, I, I, my top, and many people, and the majority of people who took this toll came back with the best TV series, and the spy genre TV series of all time would have to be Mission Impossible. I was more of a aficionado of the saint. And I don't know if you remember Simon Dem- Templar, but I always patterned myself after Mr. Templar, or rather they must have patterned their role after me. But he was cool <laughs> and suave, and you talk about the girls, Honey West, and you talk about the the starlets, even in the James Bond franchise. Beautiful women played an important part in both the TV genre and the big screen movie genre because that was part of the sensuality, the, the sexually charged moments and episodes uh, Point counterpoint, and a lot of in a lot of cases, the girl, the gorgeous gal, was the villain. But in many other cases, in fact, probably the majority of the cases, the gorgeous gal was the sidekick, the cohort, and that made it for very interesting television because you took the old vaudeville, or you took the old girl Mabel Norman tied down to a train as the locomotive was speeding toward her, the hero. In this case, in, in my case, Simon Templer would come and cut the ropes and save the damsel in distress. Fast forward 50, 60 years to the 1960s, and you have all kinds of things going on on the TV screen as far as the spy. Uh, Remember Harry Palmer, The Ipcris File, Funeral in Berlin, Billion Dollar Brain, and there were spinoffs, and they would go back and forth, probably other than Napoleon Solo, Man from Uncle. Probably I Spy would be the most memorable because it involved buddies, in a time in the 60s where America, in a huge part, many areas of America, was still segregated. And it's almost a comedy, buddy, biracial, mystery, spy series that, was it Sherwood Schwartz that did I Spy Smitty? We'll have to look that up. We'll look it up. It's got the makings of a Sherwood Schwartz, but it wasn't necessarily a comedy, but there were comedy elements. Sheldon Leonard. Sheldon like. Leonard, Okay. Um, I meant to say Sheldon Leonard. Not sure it's Swartz Gilligan Island. What? Hey, hey, come on. Okay? At my age, even if that I can get the words out is good enough. But you see the genres that brought in a lot of the social mores, the social upheavals, the, the turn of the times. And you mentioned uh, Patrick McNee earlier. And these spy genre TV and movies were big in Great Britain, George, years before they became very popular in America. Part of it was the British, and still I think the British are known as the best spies that have ever walked the face of the earth. Agreed. And the British love their spies, and they love their spy stories. Of course, Ian Fleming, uh, Patrick McGowan. Yes. Uh, they, they had little British, you know, two, three season runs of these TV shows that involved these sinister th- plots to overthrow the world or to turn the world into a nuclear wasteland. And here's our guy, who's usually well-known to the British audiences as the secret agent man. Is that comes the, in and makes it right. Yeah, is that why why uh, a lot of the early spy shows seem to be kind of a British-based thing because it was so popular in Britain and it came over here? Is that it what happened? It certainly would seem so. When you mentioned The Saint, remember that The Saint featured Roger Moore, yes. who yes. later uh, starred as James Bond in the 1970s and 1980s. Right. Yeah, and... There were some spin-offs, knockoffs. That you know, you're going to remember this one for sure. This this series, I know 
my favorite is the the silencers, the Matt Helm series with Dean Martin. But he always had girls and gags. Keep it comedy. Put the sex element in there with the gorgeous babes in the bathing suits and the skimpy attire. And the silencers, Matt Helm, he had a group, his little entourage, they were called his sleigh girls. (laughs) His sleigh girls. Hey, you want to be one of my sleigh girls? (laughs) Come on. Yeah, here's your 9mm pistol. Fire away, baby. But Matt, Matt Helm made it real because here's Dean Martin. Everyone's jumping on this thing. Robert Culp was... You remember Robert Culp before I spy? You remember him as the guy in Trackdown, remember? Trackdown? Yes. Mm-hmm. That's how I remember Robert and Culp. And then also he was in The Outer Limits. And a, a lot of these guys who were struggling through TV shows, getting a little pickup work with Rod Serling, they found a genre in the spy genre, and their careers were off and running. The spy genre of the mid-60s brought fame to a lot of folks who probably would not be Robert Vaughn, okay? Say what you will, Robert Vaughn is not the most tantalizing actor that we've ever watched. But as Napoleon Solo, you look beyond Robert Vaughn, you saw an enigma, this cool, suave, dapper, here we go again with James Bond, that whole persona, but this is an American guy, kind of a wisecracking, cool guy with the chicks. And he's got... Now, I think there's some psychology to this, George. You would be more armed with knowledge on this about from what I'm about to say. But you've got the sidekick, the lower character, so we say, the second banana in a fellow by the name of Ilya Kiryakin, David McCallum. The British were upset because Napoleon Solo was not British. Why couldn't the British guy, why couldn't David McCallum be the hero and Robert Vaughn, that was the buzz. And the Russians got very upset because here they are, they're playing us second, you know, we're the, we're the Russian guy in the background. So there was political controversy with a lot of these shows as well. And you fast forward up to the big screen of the later shows and the later uh, movies of the later part of the 1960s era, it started becoming almost counterculture related in like flint of course with james coburn the president's analyst james coburn secret agent stuff took a nuance to where it moved into the hippie they're kind of rock and roll even the james bond franchise changed interesting genre because you could have your favorite hero but the best part about it most of these series had the marketing attached now when i opened the show earlier and talked about the secret agent briefcase the Man from Uncle's secret case. It had a gun and a gun extender. It was made by Remco. My little brother got one. And before my second brother squashed it in my dad's vice, it had a battery-operated gun, a pistol, that would have a back piece, and it came in a briefcase with a camera. It was an Instamatic camera. You could take pictures. They didn't go well at my house, but you could take pictures until somebody lost the camera mm. or never picked up the film but there were giveaways trinkets lunch boxes uh secret agent attire there were styles by uh fleet street and a lot of the big designers came up with secret agent type suits like james bond would wear so it gave uh, it gave a new dawn to the idea of 
I want to be like my superhero, and this kind of a suave guy that risked his life and took bullets to protect the world. Yeah, exactly. You know, the, the thing that comes to mind for me on this stuff is that a lot of these shows did mix humor in there. There was humor. There was Maybe they would set off a bomb or something, and the guy would just have a very deadpan look on his face, and that in and of itself is funny. Uh, Wild Wild West would do that. I think uh, I Spy would do that also. Wild Wild West, it was always... Uh to, you wonder just how many gadgets was Robert <laughs> Conrad able to take out of the heel of his boot? As a little kid, because I, I was a, a little kid, and watching that show, I could never fully understand how they, how they could do that, how all these neat gadgets were in the heel of his boot and all these. And, yeah. and this is supposed to be happening in the 1800s, and it's all this modern stuff that they're pulling out. I mean, it's just really weird. And, and I, I spy Robert Culp and Bill Cosby. They really didn't care if they were killed, if they were blown away protecting us from world conquest by the end of i spy the whole thing the whole thing was about would they be able to play some tennis before the end of the series <laughs> yeah. it, was, it was a it was a sports mashup george so all the tennis people would catch i spy because yeah. these guys would go to exotic destinations and play tennis and speaking of sports what's so interesting about it is what came out of this was bruce lee bruce lee was of course paired up with Van Williams in The Green Hornet. And even though it lasted just one season, that was the launch of his career because not long afterwards, he was able to transfer that skill set onto the motion picture screen. And he himself started a whole new genre of of, uh, films on the widescreen, which, of course, was the martial arts film. Mm -hmm. Good point, George. Very good point. And I, I thought it was The Green Hornet buzzing, but it's not. It's our timer telling us that it's time for our retromercial. So uh, don't go away. Please don't. Or do go away, but come right back. Whatever you need to do, you've got about 30 seconds to do it. But then you'll miss the retromercial, and then Gilbert will get phone calls. Yeah. So we're going to go to a retromercial. You're listening to Galaxy Moonbeam Nightsight right here on the Galaxy Nostalgia Network. Most folks have heard about Colonel Sanders' Kentucky Fried Chicken. No, I don't want to brag too much, but you see, it's my secret recipe that turns the trick. And it was over 40 years before I hit up on just the right combination of 11 herbs and spices. That's why folks call it finger licking good. The best compliment you can pay a man for his cooking. Kentucky Fried Chicken. If you want Kentucky Fried Chicken, you have to visit me. Welcome back to Galaxy Moonbeam Nightside here on the Galaxy Nostalgia Network. I'm Gilbert Smitty-Smith. I'm here with my good buddies, Mike Bragg and George Halawakos. And what a neat commercial. I wanted to just talk real quickly about that. Of course, that was uh, for Kentucky Fried Chicken from the 1960s, and that was actually the voice of uh, Colonel Harlan Sanders, who you heard there uh, narrating the commercial. We were talking before uh, we went on the air, we previewed this commercial, and we were wondering about, uh, that sounds like Eddie Arnold singing the jingle at the end, and we all seem to be convinced that it's Eddie Arnold. If any of you out there know for sure, if you're any trivia fans out there, uh, let us know, but it sure sounds like Eddie Arnold. I think it is Eddie Arnold, and Colonel Sanders was a country guy. He was a Kentucky colonel. Mm-hmm. But you drop a few of those chicken stands in L.A. where George and I grew up, and I'll tell you what, if you got out of church at a certain time, got out of the parking lot at a certain time, you could get to Colonel Sanders and get a decent spot in line and probably have your bucket of chicken home by 2 or 3 o'clock. It was amazing when the KFCs, they weren't KFCs, they were Colonel Sanders, Kentucky Fried Chicken with the big bucket twirling in the sky. You had a couple out in the valley in central L.A. where I grew up. You had a few, but they took off, and there was only Jack in the Box before Colonel Sanders. 
You went to Jack in the Box and got those sloppy jacks, or whatever you call them, or you went to Colonel Sanders. And what was so much fun about it, to follow what you've said, Mike, is that I remember going to Kentucky Fried Chicken to get a, either a box or a bucket of chicken, mm-hmm. and you would take it if you went to an outdoor event at the Starlight Bowl in Burbank or the Hollywood Bowl. Or also, if you were going to high school football games, one of the favorite things to do was to pick up a box or a bucket of that chicken, and someone else would bring the drinks and chips, and you were set. Well, the uh, the question of the ages, George, when it comes to Colonel Sanders and his fine chicken, the good Colonel left us many years ago, but he took the honey with him. You can't find the little honey packets in KFC boxes anymore. Have you noticed? I've noticed that. What happened to that? I have no okay. idea. I enjoyed the honey. The the rolls it was were, good. The rolls were not the same without the honey on them. I think because it was mixed with butter, as I recall, it was sort of they a were a buttery honey thing, and they were and they would give you a little napkin to wipe up with. Yes, a towelette. A towelette, and the spoons and the forks were wooden, and they didn't come in a thing with the napkin. You had to go get them, and will be for the person who brought the bucket out and forgot the forks. Even had- going to the Greek and going to the. Hollywood Bowl. I remember that it was always someone's duty. If there was a group of us, we'd say, someone, don't forget to bring uh, paper towels. Yeah. A roll of paper bring towels. Bring a roll of paper towels yeah. and, and a little foam box. And, and, of course, Smitty would get his little greasy fingers all over the backseat of, back of his dad's Buick Electra. Yeah, exactly. Th- that's the stuff for another that's episode. Stuff for episode. But Colonel Harlan Sanders did pass away in 1980. He passed away, actually, on December 16, 1980. And that commercial, it was it's just the way that it's done, it's just very evocative of a different time period. You know, I have memories of... Uh, Sunday dinners, chicken dinners, my mom and dad, sometimes my aunt would come over, and very oftentimes the treat would be Kentucky Fried Chicken. Just a whole different time period that uh, all of us lived through uh, back then. The bucket that was twirling up in the sky that Mike described, I remember that when the energy crisis hit in the early 1970s, that one of the first things to go was that all of the Kentucky Fried Chicken outlets had to stop the... Uh, buckets from rotating. Is they had to keep right? them on a, in a stationary position. You know, what's interesting is that the buckets back then were, they had a saying, you know, they had little sayings on the side of them, and one of them was, like, I think, uh, North America's hospitality treat or something like, you know, very, very, again, from a completely different time period. And it know? always evoked hospitality. It did, southern hospitality. Comfort food. Yeah. The one last thought on this is that a number of years back, they changed the corporate name from Kentucky Fried Chicken to KFC, I guess, to to uh, represent a more healthful, you know, food. They, they got rid of the refried a lot of young people now have have grown up with just KFC. I wonder how many young people out there who don't know what KFC stands for. That's an interesting thought. Well, I remember on the East Coast that uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken was actually sold under the auspices of Geno's. And Geno's had one side of Kentucky Fried Chicken and the other side was a regional brand usually associated with hamburgers. Well, and it, true, so true, George, because originally Kentucky Fried Chicken, the colonel didn't have stores. He sold the chicken recipe to restaurants, and they sold Colonel Harlan Sanders' chicken through their restaurant menu. So that's what I'm remembering when that's I was living on the East Coast. You, okay. would go yeah. to, you would go to Mom's, uh, Mom's Sunday Waffle House, and on the you wouldn't know Colonel Sanders had his chicken there till you opened the menu, and there were and Colonel Harlan Sanders' famous Kentucky chicken available chicken dinner, and that's how they did it. And he'd open stands. Yeah, interesting. Well. 
great remembering Colonel Harlan Sanders and yes. Kentucky Fried Chicken. If any of you know for sure if uh, that was Eddie Arnold singing on that commercial, let us know. Okay. Well, we want to uh, give a report. As Mike mentioned at the beginning of the show, we were, once again this year, we made two submissions to the San Diego Press Club and their Excellence in Journalism Awards. And those of you who are longtime listeners will remember that last year we submitted a couple of shows. And we won two awards. Last year we won first place and third place. And we're very pleased again to announce this year that we also won first place and third place. Uh, our first place show was our 70th anniversary look back at D-Day, which George and Mike and myself uh, produced and uh, did back in June of this year. That won first place in the radio feature category. And then we won third place for our interview that uh, Mike and I did with John Coleman, who was the founder of the Weather Channel, first weather man on Good Morning America. And at the time that we did the show with him, he was uh, the uh, weatherman at KUSI here in San Diego. He has since retired. So he won third place on that in the interview uh, category. So we're very pleased uh, and very gratified that we've been recognized again for a second year in a row with this uh, these awards. And uh, we certainly thank you, our listeners, for your support and for listening in. It was kind of a neat thing, Mike. We, uh, we again, won first and third prize with uh, two of our shows. It was exciting because I was so proud that our friend George Halalako sitting with us in studio yes. today was part of the production team of that spectacular 70th D-Day anniversary show we did. It was nice to know that... Well, it's nice, of course, to get the award in first place. There's, you know, what is it, 1,300 entries? Uh, something like that, well, yeah. There's not all in entries. that category. Right, yeah, exactly. There's a lot of people who would like to say they have this type of recognition, and it's nice. And it's kind of because we don't get paid a lot of money. No, we don't. <laughs> but it's just nice. What's better than money are the people who yes. who call in and they get on Facebook and they so much enjoy our shows. And this is actually more... Uh, more value on a professional level. Of course, we do this as as a love of our hearts for our listeners and for ourselves to keep this stuff alive, even for our children and our grandchildren. But to have our peers look at something like this, what we're doing, and acknowledge us with this type of recognition is is probably one of the best highs you could possibly get. Me speaking as a baby boomer who have researched several of the highs over the last 45 years, but there's nothing like getting honored by your peers, by your colleagues for something that you've worked so hard to do. George? Well, I have to say that it was a great honor to be a part of this program. As you know, and members of the audience are aware of, I write regularly on military aviation. And to have this opportunity to be part of a production that paid tribute to the members of our armed forces who made the ultimate sacrifice... Uh, to protect liberty and freedom, not only for ourselves, but for other Western nations uh, around the world, was indeed uh, a great privilege and honor. And it was so wonderful to get the reinforcement from my wonderful students that I teach at the University of California. They were thrilled that we were able to do this, and uh, they also shared in this as well. So I found this to be a great great uh, accomplishment. But more importantly, I think just being part of it with the two of you and being able to be part of something that helps to honor the past, but also advance the future was truly an accomplishment that will uh, remain in my heart forever. Well, George, wonderful. And we, we certainly, uh, again, acknowledge your 
participation in our shows. And uh, Mike and I, have, as we mentioned at the beginning, uh, almost five years now that we're doing these shows, we're continuing on. So we want to just bring everybody that update as to the results of the awards. And again, we thank all of our listeners who listen in and who support us by writing in and communicating with us. And that just about brings us to the end of this show. This half hour has just flown by. We do want to remind you that we would like to hear from you. Our email address is galaxymoonbeamnightside at gmail.com. Galaxymoonbeamnightside at gmail.com. Our website, galaxymoonbeamnightside.com. Don't forget our Galaxy page on Facebook. And we are also slowly, very slowly, migrating all of our shows to MixCloud.com. That's still a work in progress, but it's moving forward. And, of course, all of our shows, our entire archive of over 150 shows is available on iTunes. So we certainly welcome you to go there. If you ha- any shows that you've missed in the past or you'd like to hear again, by all means, they're all there for you. And that brings us to the end of this program. We sure thank you for joining us. I'm Smitty. I'm Mike. And I'm George. And we look forward to having you with us again next time on Galaxy Moonbeam Nightsight on the Galaxy Nostalgia Network. This is the Galaxy Nostalgia Network.